Today on the Cineos Health Podcast, I'll be talking about digital therapeutics. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. I'll be joined today by Allison Murphy and Sky Hodson of Cineos Health to discuss the new field of digital therapeutics. They're not pills, they're not potions, they're not injectables, they are not devices. These are digital therapeutics. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Digital therapeutics next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Sky Hodson, Allison Murphy, thank you for joining me on the Cineos Health Podcast. Jeff, thanks so much for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having us. Looking forward to it. Thank you. And I can hear, Sky, that you are not in the United States. You are calling from abroad. Where are you based? That's right. I'm based in our London office. And what is your title? I'm an engagement manager in the Commercial Advisory Group and that's the consulting team at Cineos Health. All right. And Allison, where are you? You are, in fact, based in the United States, though not sitting right in front of me. Yes, I am in the United States. I'm based in Boston, and I'm one of the VPs of business development for Selling Solutions. Okay. So we're talking today about a kind of therapeutics I don't think we've talked about on the show. In fact, I can't think that I've ever taken one of these. I can't say I've worked on any project that really constitutes one of these. It's called a digital therapeutic. What is a digital therapeutic? I guess, Sky, if you want to go ahead first, and then Allison, tell us, what is this thing? Sure, Jeff. Absolutely. I think that's a good question, and the industry has been grappling a little bit with that. I really like Digital Therapeutic Alliance definition, which effectively is all around the fact that digital therapeutics deliver evidence-based therapeutic intervention. I think that makes them exciting and it makes them different than maybe typical digital health products because they have robust evidence typically derived from some form of software program actually impacting a healthcare outcome. And they usually work either independently or in concert with medication, and it's importantly around preventing, managing, or treating a disease. Allison, we're not eating digits. What are digital therapeutics? No, Jeff, you're absolutely correct. And I think to your point earlier that this term can broadly be defined as a treatment or therapy that really utilizes a form of digital and often it happens to be with internet health technology to change a patient behavior. And it is new to our industry. And I think the first mention of it, if you look in the literature, was in 2015. So only four years ago, it was mentioned in a research publication. So it is new. And I think that we are all learning in parallel what's going on with digital therapeutics. It's not a pill that we swallow. Rather, it is a form of a variety of different ways of utilizing digital intervention to help either treat patients or help with behavioral modification, ultimately affecting patient care. Are there any digital therapeutics that are currently approved? Yes, there are. There are a few currently approved, and there's a very robust pipeline. And I think what is going on right now is that the Digital Therapeutic Alliance that Sky mentioned earlier was started in 2017 to help the regulatory bodies really try to help walk the path in understanding what that looks like because there is a differentiation. There are evidence-based clinical trials that are going to hopefully be approved by the regulatory bodies to show efficacy, and it's going to set itself apart from a wearable utilizing scientific information that's been validated. And just building on that a little bit, we've seen quite a number of products that have been approved or under the FDA pre-cert program come to market. Interestingly, the FDA is leading this a little bit. In Europe, we're seeing a little bit of a lag in terms of how much regulators are thinking about this new treatment class. We have companies like Pair Therapeutics, Proteus, and their Bitify MyType solution coming to market. 
and lots of interesting momentum here. And I think we're going to see traction building as payers, regulators, providers become more comfortable with these products that are coming to market. That seems like the kind of product that a payer would not be comfortable with at all, frankly, where even something like a Fitbit or a wearable that we're used to is not something that a payer is typically going to compensate for. They're not going to provide reimbursement on. And I think that a lot of people have that model in their head when they think about something that's digital. How does a payer respond to something like this? Is there any early indication about whether payers are actually paying? Absolutely, Jeff. We've actually just done some research with some payers where we talked to them to try and understand the space a little bit more. And 50% of the people we talked to believe that we're less than two years away from providing coverage. And no payer felt that they wouldn't be covering these digital therapeutics in the next five years. So clearly a very positive sentiment out there. And we're seeing some interesting things develop, like Express Scripts, who currently are looking to offer a standalone digital health formulary by 2020 to provide access. We also have the likes of CVS, who are looking to introduce digital products to their PBM clients by having a type of approved platform. So I think what we're starting to see is a lot of really interesting activity amongst some payers in the market. And actually a positive sentiment, and people are very practically moving towards this. We're seeing pilots of sickness funds in Germany who are piloting this for their members. So I think we're starting to see traction and more comfort as the industry becomes more aware of what these are, what they mean, and what's required to support them. I have a question to follow up on that, Allison. If a payer is willing to pay for it, that's fantastic. Why does a patient want a digital therapeutic? What does a patient or a physician get out of a digital therapeutic that isn't possible or isn't gettable out of a potion or pill or a medical treatment or the things that we're used to seeing as a therapeutic? Great question, Jeff. And I think some of the demonstrated benefits for patients and caregivers include a couple of different things. It increased access to therapies that are clinically demonstrated as safe and effective. It really helps personalize care based on individual patient needs and abilities. It helps potentially administer therapeutic interventions in a more engaging and convenient way. It potentially reduces stigma associated with the delivery of certain traditional therapies. It provides patients and caregivers and potentially select healthcare providers with secure progress updates on personalized goals and outcomes. So I think we're just beginning to see the fruits and benefits of what digital therapeutics can do. But one of the things that is near and dear to me being a nurse is I think it really provides a farther reach for patients who may not have access to care as readily as others. So I think everyone has some type of digital access, whether it be a computer, a laptop, a handheld phone. It's much more prevalent in our society than it was even five years ago. So I think that this will really help afford patients the opportunity to care more than it has in the past. We've talked about digital therapeutics being something that's relatively new. If I were to look at the entire field a little bit sideways, I would have said that digital therapeutics have been here for many years, where we have pacemakers that record data and transmit it back to the doctor. We have certain programs that track people's blood sugar levels and how they've been using their insulin over the day. How is this different? Or is it different? I think it is different, and I think defining the difference is still in evolution. But I think about digital therapeutics as integrated as a value-added therapy into official clinical guidelines, existing care management pathways. As Sky mentioned before, it's either in addition to or an adjunct to current therapy. I think the digital therapeutics can operate in tandem and complementary to therapies, and other digital therapeutic programs are increasing levels of connectivity. It's collecting a lot of information 
for us to be able to really gather that value-based evidence to help make treatment decisions more readily. And some of the modalities that you spoke about are treatments to individual patients, and they may not necessarily benefit from the large mass that a digital therapeutic can have reached to. So we'll be prescribed apps, use this app in a certain way, not necessarily even with a particular therapeutic, not necessarily with a medical device, but follow instructions, do this, do that, like behavioral modification. Am I understanding what a large part of digital therapeutics is intended to be? Exactly. I think that a large part of the intent is to help change patient behavior through a digital modification in some way, whether it's through an app, whether it's through an internet program that you have to log into, but it's really trying to help behavioral change for a specific either chronic disease and or long-term disease, a mental disease, a neurological disease. Those are some of the areas that we're seeing most of the pipeline in digital therapeutics evolve. And Jeff, just building on that as well, I think they have been around in different shapes or sizes, but back to Alison's point, it's very much around integrating all these different components, really making sure that the evidence is there to support them. And lots of digital therapeutics we see might be a combination of a drug, a device, software, as well as a service wrapped around it. So effectively, it's almost reimagining how we treat patients, the workflow, patient journey. And by targeting discrete bits there, we're focused trying to achieve outcomes that in the past we maybe couldn't. And I do think that's why we're seeing a lot of effort focusing on underserved populations who aren't currently receiving the treatment or treatment options that you're looking for. So back to Alison's point, chronic conditions with very large populations, and we have an opportunity to really provide access to new forms of treatment. And again, high demand areas like CNS and a high unmet need, which isn't currently being treated with conventional therapy. This may be an unfair question, so feel free to push back if it is just an unfair question. Is regulation in this field helpful to the manufacturer, or is it now just a barrier to the manufacturer of a digital therapeutic? I'm thinking that without regulation, what it was like before the FDA got involved with much of this, that it was more like the Wild West. You could make whatever you want, but have a lot of innovation and lower costs. Now with regulation, this regulation often includes higher risks, longer development times, but potentially higher prices that are possible because you now have a regulated market or a monopoly position. Am I understanding how regulation might work or is regulation viewed very differently within the industry from how I'm characterizing it? Jeff, I think to date, the reason why digital therapeutic manufacturers are looking to get their digital therapeutic approved by the regulatory body is to validate it as being a valuable source, reliable source to the public. I think in my experience with helping a recent company going to market with a digital therapeutic, one of the things that has been very apparent in their development process is the understanding by the consumer as well as the healthcare provider what a digital therapeutic is. And I believe that having it approved by a regulatory body doesn't just show it's a good thing. It actually has validation and that it will create a whole different way with the payers as well as the consumers on the healthcare providers as being a validated tool. We've talked about thinking big. Can you give an idea of how big this market is when it's kind of a standalone market? You're making a digital therapeutic, and then we'll talk for a few minutes about thinking a little bit smaller about how it interacts with the traditional pharma industry. How big is this industry when it's by itself? It's a great question, Jeff. If you look at digital health, we're seeing huge amounts of growth in this space. Lots of companies 
companies emerging. I think along the digital therapeutics lines, there were 170 companies emerging last year, and we're talking billions being invested and lots of partnerships being established. So there's clearly a lot of momentum in this market, and I think that's only going to continue. So at the moment, we're really at the precipice, if you like, of digital therapeutics. Back to Alison's point, you know, 2015, we're starting to see some harmonization. We're starting to see money flowing in from investors, large pharma taking an active interest. I think if you take a sine curve, we're very much in the early phase. But by 2025, people are saying that there's going to be potentially a $10 billion industry. We're going to see rapid growth. I think that's why it's so important that we do have regulation in order to manage expectations and to validate these new solutions because they are coming in to market where we're going to make claims against people's health. And so I think it's very important that we have that control and the regulators are very willing as well to help with that. You know, early dialogue is quite important, the framework, because they really want this new sector that's emerging now to be successful. And just one more question kind of on the follow-up there. This is on the big side. I have a new app that I've made that I believe to be a digital therapeutic. What kind of development time am I looking for and regulatory approval time? Is it like a regular therapeutic, a new biologic? We're talking seven, eight, nine years of clinical trials followed by maybe a year or year and a half of approval time. Is that what we're looking at or is it something very different? Jeff, I think it's still unknown, to be honest. I think that the Digital Therapeutic Alliance is working really closely with, in the U.S., the regulatory bodies to figure out what that looks like. I don't think that we have enough experience on what a normal pathway is going to look like. I think when we think about pharmacological drugs or devices, we have a good litmus test as to what that looks like. I think with the digital therapeutic, we just don't have enough experience in the marketplace to understand what a typical will be. I think the regulatory bodies are learning alongside the manufacturers on what this is going to look like. I think some will be smaller in scale depending on the therapeutic area. So I think that there's still a lot of unknown, in my opinion, that there are a lot of very committed people making this happen as fast as it can, including emerging medical societies that are coming. We just had our first in the U.S. digital therapeutic medical society start last month. So there's a lot of people who have a keen interest in making this be successful and giving the regulatory bodies the information that they need. One of the things that I've personally had the opportunity to be involved with is a couple of for us to be able to help with clinical trials to digital therapeutic companies. And what we're doing is we're going down the clinical trial arena the same way we would if it were a pharmacological drug or a device, but what we're doing is we're adding some additional interventions to the studies that will help them. But from a time period, it's very similar to date, but it's a very small sample size. I said we'd go small, and small actually is turning back towards large pharma We have a lot of our clients, and I think a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are in large pharma, medium-sized pharma or startups, but pharma, therapeutic pharma, not digital therapeutics that are finding out how to think about their industry. If I'm in pharma, how do I think about digital therapeutics for my own drugs? Is there a clear way that I should be thinking, this is when I need to engage with digital therapeutics, and I need to really think hard about why or if I put digital therapeutics to the forefront of part of my development plan, part of my post-marketing development, real-world evidence kind of development, or lifecycle management, or anything. How do I know that digital therapeutics is for me? If I was a pharma company, Jeff, looking at this, 
I think digital therapeutics have to have the patient at the heart because ultimately they engage with their treatment very differently and it needs to be developed around them very discreetly. And I think it's very important to not lose track of that early on and throughout. And back to what we were saying earlier, the type of indication you're looking to treat, the unmet need, and whether that lends itself to a type of behavioral modification or intervention, for example, that is a bit more remote. For example, a cancer patient might not have the same level of touch points, if you like, with some of the chronic conditions. So I think it's very important not to lose track. But as a pharma company, there's lots of opportunities here. There's opportunities to look at potentially just a digital therapeutic by itself. There's an opportunity to look at how you can combine them with existing therapies to modify adherence and behavior and then focus on the outcomes you can deliver. It's an opportunity to augment existing therapies or complement new therapies. And also potentially, you touch on the real world evidence an opportunity to reduce risk in development and potentially reduce commercialization risk because a digital therapeutic does allow you to collect a whole range of evidence around your intervention. And I think it's also quite interesting because a digital therapeutic is going to evolve as you collect more evidence in a real-world context, you effectively get this positive feedback loop. So I think as a pharmaceutical company, there's a lot of opportunities there and I would keep a very broad mind of what the answer possible is. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask one question before I let you go. I've heard that some of the digital therapeutics are video games, which excites my children. And I won't say it excites me, but I'm interested in hearing how I can get that prescribed for me. Video games, really? So, Jeff, I love that. And I have to tell you, one of the first digital therapeutics that I had the opportunity to work with the manufacturer was a video game. And I think that there is a lot of discussion from the manufacturer side to make sure that they're positioning it to be in a positive vein. There is a lot of discussions with medical societies on screen time. I mean, that's really become something that's at the forefront of a lot of discussions in pediatricians' office as well as at people's dinner table, appropriate screen time. And so video games, if you really translate that to what the therapeutic value to the patient will be, is actually re-engineering behavioral modification. So a prescription video game with a limited time to actually help somebody with a goal for a set period of time is the way that we need to start to change the way that we talk about it versus a video game that you're going to have your kids play on Xbox. It's a prescription video game to change behavioral modification. It's going to re-engineer how you think. And so it's just going to take us a period of time for us to adjust the way that we speak to our children and the way that we speak to healthcare providers as well as a broad arena of consumers. Video games, yes, I like the idea of that as well, Alison. I think it's important to understand digital therapeutics are going to come in a whole range of modalities. Some we understand at the moment, some are emerging as new concepts. And ultimately, it's how we view health. And I think it's important to understand digital therapeutics allow us to democratize a lot of things, it allows us to make them more accessible. How and what that will be delivered through, I think, is going to evolve. I think we're seeing some really innovative ways of people thinking about how we can change healthcare. And part of that is how we can improve outcomes through new media, new ways of engaging, new ways of ensuring that the medication we give, for example, is given appropriately at the right time. And just really getting more insight into what does it mean to impact someone's health. And that's why I think it's quite exciting. And yeah, video games is one of them. And I'm looking for seeing that become a reality. I am too. I can't wait to get to the doctor and get a prescription. Sky Hodson, Allison Murphy, thanks so much for joining me on the Cineo South podcast. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Had a great time. Much appreciated. That's all for today's episode of the Cineo's Health podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineo's Health Consulting. If you like what you hear, 
please rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you have comments, suggestions, questions, or if you just want to talk through a particular challenge that you're having at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at where consultants, that's what we do.